This is the main event. What you gonna do? The new world order of wrestling. Because Stone Cold said so. Oh my God! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace. What a rush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Yeah, I come here to fight. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome, fans, for going beyond the bell. Your host, ring announcer. Sean Beckerman here with you, and this is a special compilation show we have in store. At first, we split this edition up into a two-part series, but thanks to your overwhelming feedback and support and recognition of the popularity of this subject, we decided here at Beyond the Bell and also through the SNS Radio Network to combine both editions into one and create the ultimate edition of the lost art the lost art of tag team wrestling in professional wrestling the initial two-part series split up some of the greatest teams of all time but now we combine the two together and added in extra audio featuring promos of your favorite tag teams of all time professional wrestling has seen its share of great tag teams come and go throughout the years The tag team division isn't what it used to be, but it's still alive. Barely, you can say. From the fabulous Freebirds to the Funks, tag team wrestling has been one of the most popular aspects of professional wrestling for countless years. Long before the giant media behemoth known as World Wrestling Entertainment, now WWE, took over and sealed their legacy as the biggest wrestling promotion of all time. Tag team wrestling peaked in the days of the NWA and the AWA thanks to the likes of Michael P.S. Hayes, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, the enforcer Arn Anderson, the living legend Larry Zbysko, countless others to boot. As time went on, so did tag teams. They began to peak in the WWE and WCW with the likes of the Steiner Brothers, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, the Four Horsemen, making their presence felt. Later on in the, in the 90s, the likes of The Outsiders, the NWO D-Generation X began to dominate. Tag Team Wrestling continues to evolve to this very day. As does the legacy and its history. However, Tag Team Wrestling will always have its all-time greats. And this podcast is going to describe the few that I find to be the all-time greatest tag teams in professional wrestling. Let's kick off our list with the Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags. In the early 1990s, the Nasty Boys impressed several wrestling fans and officials with their gritty brawling style, that hardcore style early on seen by the Nasties. Uh, They were using this style in World Championship Wrestling and in Japan. After a particularly good match against the Steiner Brothers, it looked like they could be the next great tag team in Georgia. But, you know, due to their ineptitude that seemed to to be abound in WCW at the time, Knobs and Sags were not under contract, and the World Wrestling Federation quickly signed them and allowed them to win 
their World Tag Team Championship over the Hart Foundation in a bit of an upset which took place at WrestleMania 7. The reign was only a transitional one. That you, you, They were considered transitional tag team champions, though, as the Nasties handed the belts over to the LOD at SummerSlam that very same year. But after that, the team was essentially forgotten about by the Fed and getting a brief run, you could say, as babyfaces against then-tag team champions Money Incorporated, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, and Irwin R. Scheister IRS, but receiving no other major pushes, you could say, at that time. They jumped back to WCW, where Knobs and Sags held the company's titles on several occasions. You know, the gold was not the most important part of the Nasty's second WCW run, though. What most important was their feud with Cactus Jack and Max Payne. And then later, Kevin Sullivan, the duo had an impressive series of tremendous, ruckus, hardcore street fights. The matches are credited with bringing that ECW-style hardcore matches to, you could say, the big two, WCW and WWF at the time, and causing one of the transformations that would make professional wrestling incredibly popular with with men and, and teenagers ages 18 to 18 to 35 at the time. In the late 90s. Thus, the Nasties did not win as many titles as some other tag teams, but their influence on professional wrestling history cannot be denied, and their influence on hardcore tag team wrestling cannot be denied as well. Thank you. Coming up, the big match for the Macho Man. Teams up with the Ultimate Warrior coming, the Nasty Boys, Sags and Knobs. What a coup for you, manager Jimmy Hart. You're right. We pulled it off. What a coup for us, baby. Can you believe my Nasty Boys taking on the Ultimate Moron and Randy Macho Man Savage? Do you think they're a tag team? Do you think they care about each other? No, they don't. But tonight, 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 they're facing my Nasty Boys, baby. That's right, Jimmy. That's right, Jimmy. In just a few minutes, Macho Man Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior take on the greatest, nastiest tag team in the world, Wrestling Federation today. Nasty boys are going to nasty size you. ain't going to like it, but you're definitely, definitely going to get nasty size. Nobs. <laughs> Jimmy, you pull it off, baby. You pull it off. Soon, they will be beating each other up at SummerSlam. But tonight, the nasty boys get the beat up on the two top dogs of the World Wrestling Federation, and we're going to nasty Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Hey, what is this? Mr. Mr. Perfect. Hold on. Hey, am I on a roll or what? Nobody knows the ultimate warrior, and nobody knows the macho man Randy Savage like Mr. Perfect knows him. And in your big matchup tonight, I'm going to give you guys a few secrets about those two guys. Oh, Oh, you didn't know? The New Age Outlaws, the road dog Jesse James, and badass Billy Gunn, the Lude and crew duo who got together through the DX stable but had an amazing run as a tag team in the WWF, the road dog Jesse James, and badass Mr. Ass Billy Gunn defeated the Legion of Doom in November of 1997 to win their first of five tag team championships the two will go their own way and split for around a year between 1998 and 1999 but reunited a few years before billy gunn 
had an arm injury, which would be the final blow to the duo. It's a, it was truly a shame to see these two break off just before the days of TLC matches were born with the Hardys and Dudleys. They continued to wrestle together in TNA and now on the indie circuit. But they initially came together. You could say the bridge was the honky-tonk man. He was managing Rockabilly, Billy Gunn, and the, there was a big issue of who's going to be the next honky-tonk man or the new protege of the honky-tonk man. And at the time, the real Double J, Jesse James, and Billy Gunn, Rockabilly, were competing for that role. Rockabilly was born. It just wasn't fitting, wasn't connecting. And you saw the turn of Billy Gunn attacking the Honky Talk Man with the guitar. The New Age Outlaws were, were born. What made this team so different is because they both were different. They didn't wear the same outfits. They didn't wrestle the same style. They wrestled completely independently of one another. But... They coincided and they complemented one another, even though their styles were completely different. Billy Gunn was the, you could say, the mat technician. The road dog could handle the mic. And together, they were bridged to be the future of the WWE, the future of tag team wrestling, the future of D-Generation X. Once Shawn Michaels left, Triple H, Shawn Waltman, X-Pac brought the New Age Outlaws in to fill the gap that was missing when the Heartbreak Kid left. And they definitely took the ball and ran with it on the tag team scene. And to this day, no one can de- no one can deny that the New Age Outlaws are one of the greatest tag teams in professional wrestling history. may know my name, but for those of you who don't, take a big gander at the Titan Tron because the road dog is back in the dog pound. He used to be called a roadie when he managed Jeff Jarrett. That's right, that's right, give it up for the dog. Now hold up, Willie Will, hold up. Back off of CC and don't stomp a mud hole in me. That's not why I came here. I have seen it time and time again, Willie Will. This old, decrepit, rhinoceros horn-having freak. My, no, no, now. That ain't what I came for either. You know, matter of fact, he's so old, Elvis Presley stole his gimmick. That's how old he is. Double J showing no respect for the honky-tonk man. Back off. I just came to talk. You know, me and you got a lot in common. Me and you got a lot in common, Willie Will. Don't look at me like that and keep that freak back. Me and you have been curtain jerkers since day one, and don't say we ain't. We've been flat of our backs. One, two, three, counting the lights. That's what we've been doing. You like it? You like doing it on shotgun every week? You like laying flat of your back? Do you like it? No, let me answer that for you. No, you don't. Let me tell you why you do it. Because of this old piece of petrified wrestler right here. That's not very nice. Now, hey, I took one. I took one loser to the Intercontinental Championship belt here in the World Wrestling Federation. You mentioned Jeff Jarrett. My friend, you are not a loser. So me and you together. Oh, I smell money. I smell money. Willie Will, are you with me? I don't know what you're trying to get started, Roadhog. (laughs) But I can tell you one thing. 
You were nothing but a loser from day one. I didn't want to have anything to do with you. And I know you and Billy have been riding the roads together and you've been talking. But what I'm going to tell you right now is rockabilly is championship material, something you never will be, Hoss. And I'm going to ask him the ultimate question right now. And he's going to tell you, Willie Will, are you with me or not? Well, what's the answer? Well, at least not. It looks like Billy's with Honky. Looks I'm like going to solve your problem. Jesse James. Oh, look out. Look out. Uh oh. Just don't know what will. He broke the Hunky Tonk Man's guitar over his head. He's left him laying in the middle of the ring. Hunky's girl getter is flat as a pancake. And what's with these two? Hunky Tonk Man has been fired by Rockabilly. Can we see the a new team being formed here? What's going on between these two? Mr. Fuji and Tanaka. Mr. Fuji and Professor Tanaka were a dominant tag team in the 1970s. Beating Sonny King and Chief J. Strongbow in 1972, they won their first of three tag team championships. Uh, and it was between 1972 and 1977. When the pair held the tag team titles, they didn't want to let them go. They held on to them for a combined 569 days before dropping the titles for the last time to Dino Bravo and Dominic DiNucci. Their longest run, which happened to be their first, which was 337 days, which ranks third on the all-time list, a length of WWE World Tag Team Championship reigns, which is a tremendous feat in itself. This tag team is as remembered like it should be, but give them the fan base and coverage in today's wrestling world, and they would have been one of the best ever in professional wrestling. That's why you cannot forget about Mr. Fuji and Professor Tanaka. The team known as Doom. Take Ron Simmons, big former football star, and all-around badass. You add to that mixture Butch Reed, the natural Butch Reed, underused badass, previously given bad gimmick in the WWF. Add masks and a woman as a manager... Have them beat people up, but fail to win tag titles off Steiner Brothers. And you have a unique team. Remove the masks, remove women, add Teddy Long as manager, give them the tag team titles, taking them off from the Road Warriors. Interesting combination. Mix the Rock and Roll Express, Sting and Luger, Flair and Arn. Have them eventually lose the tag team titles to the Freebirds. A good half year after winning them, split and have a feud. All this was the summary of the team known as Doom. They put on some of the best power based tag team wrestling from the time, ensuring that they have an air of being complete and utter badasses before the APA was developed, before the Dudley Boys. You know, Stormy before Chronic. Doom was the team to fear. I remember seeing their masks coming out on their masks and these two big African-American stars 
just look like badasses. They, you, you don't want to mess with them. You know, give them a really cool name and let them loose on World Championship Wrestling. And this is what we called Doom Goodness. <laughs> Serves plenty, you could say. Doom is a tremendous, was a tremendous team in World Championship Wrestling. You had two top stars that were underutilized at the time. Combine them, and you have such a tremendous ass-kicking team that laid the groundwork for brawlers and badass tag to talk to the singer, and we'll we'll have all of our action. But right now, let's hear these comments from the tag team champions of the world. Here are comments from Doom. Later on today, right here on this program, you people are going to get a chance to see the first black world NWA tag team champions. Now, Rock and Roll Express, I hear the rumor. I know you're running around talking about you want to make a name for yourself by stepping in the ring with the Soul Brothers Doom, the new world tag team champions. Well, Rock and Roll, I know your reputation, former NWA world tag team champions. That don't mean nothing to us. So later on on this program today, we're going to show the world and we're going to show you, Rock and Roll, that you don't mean nothing and we're going to get rid of you once and for all and that way we don't have to worry about you. Now, Soul Brother Butch, tell him about it, Daddy. Let me tell you something, boys. You can't get no reputation by running around talking loud and saying nothing. So get in the square circle with the best because we paid the cost to be the boss. And the NWA World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions rules tag team wrestling. So get ready, boys. This ain't going to be no rock and roll concert because we're going to rock and roll you. The Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, a tandem that has its reputation for the sum of its parts rather than their actual achievements. They were thrown together just prior to the first WrestleMania and were given the titles for reasons you could say, first off, to have a title change on the card and you could say a consolation prize to the Iron Sheik for putting over the immortal Hulk Hogan the year before. But however, this doesn't take away the sheer entertainment value that this team this team gave. Before, this was, you could say, the first mix-and-match tag team before it's oh so popular now in the WWE as they just throw two guys together and create a team, and they win the tag team titles. But an Iranian and Russian being very nationalistic while being down on the USA was an easy and natural heat-getter in the early 80s. And it takes real, you can say, I think it takes real guts, real balls, for lack of a better term, to sing the Russian national anthem during the days of the Cold War. You know, while they ended up losing the tag team titles a short time later, they remained a handy team to have around, you could say, and just display their entertainment value alone made them a highly regarded team from any era. You want to get some heat? throw Volkov and the Sheik at, at the fans. USA, Hatoy. Well, actually, what was it? It was Russia number one. Iran number one. USA, Hatoy. I think that was it. Make it simple. Cindy Lauper slapped me in the face. Of course, then again, while these people cheer they've never been in the position even to get swiped by lassie's tail let alone be among stars such as ac baby and myself i'd like to clear something up i'd like to bring out some fine gentlemen and clear us clear a story up you see cindy lopper made this video called the goonies 
And what happened, Steven, Steven Spielberg phoned me and asked me if I would come down for dinero money to kind of help, kind of help them along because they're having troubles. So, so I went and I got together with uh, Mr. Glassing. <laughs> make a video and then she turns around and slaps us and now we find out that they're not even sending us the money no, the no money at all you know when we first got the call from spielberg he said bring your crew down and the first one i thought about was you roddy <laughs> you the iron cheek and the guy Volkov. and we went down not knowing that broad the one with the 15 different colored hair was down there she ruined the thing uh, her and Captain Lou Albano and that other rinky-dink guy. That's what. Well, not only that, they had the indecency not to give the sheik his own private dressing room, but they wanted him to share him. What exactly would you tell me? Did they take advantage or what? Exactly, Rodney. You know, they come to get the reputation, especially WWF. Let's fast forward to the most popular era in professional wrestling, and that was the Attitude Era. And a precursor to the Attitude Era was the, the reformation, or you could say the formation, of the New World Order. This tag team was a, was the you can see the original nexus of the New World Order, and they are the Outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Now, looking back, I, I realize most of the teams I selected are from the past and from the distant past, you could say. So, I want to introduce a more modern, uh, more, you could say, more modern day tag team. But who who better to select that that? Change tag team wrestling and basically basically combine two main eventers, combine them together to create a super and all star tag team: Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, Diesel and Razor Ramon, the Outsiders. They broke into WCW in 1996, forming the controversial New World Order (NWO) alongside Hollywood Hulk Hogan. The Outsiders at the time were a different kind of tag team. Most tag teams were all action and given minimal microphone time. But when the Outsiders got on the scene, both Hall and Nash were known for being two of the most charismatic wrestlers of all time, bringing both comedy, seriousness, changing from one to the other. In just a matter of seconds, they were able to motivate the crowd. They can motivate them whether to cheer to boo with such ease. And they use such classic yet basic lines such as Scott Hall's famous, Hey, yo. Much like other teams, Hall was more of the agile, technical-based wrestler, bringing the mat-based, you could say classic-style wrestling, uh, mixing in with the in-ring comedy that he had, while Nash, Big Daddy Cool, Big Sexy, was more the serious, big powerhouse bruiser that you didn't want to mess with. Although Nash himself was also a comment for bringing comedy into his matches on top of it. He was one to make people laugh. The Outsiders signaled a new generation of tag teams, which also led to their then WCW rival in the World Wrestling Federation, D-Generation X, you know, and 
a tag team and stable similar in style of the Outsiders and the NWO. They won the WCW World Tag Team Championship six times during their tenure with much success and also controversy coming as well. The team, much like most tag teams, were successful due to their chemistry together in the ring. And I think it stems from Hull and Nash being best friends outside of the squared circle. The team has been inactive since 2005. We saw some stints of them in, in TNA. Uh, well, in 05, they were with Jeff Jarrett, but they teamed up together, you could say, on a part-time basis. Most recently, when Hogan came aboard, uh, when they moved to Monday nights, but that was very short-lived. But we all know of Hall's problems now, and we hopefully wish him the best. But some teams make the list because of sheer number of reigns, some due to the historical impact, what they did to change the future, you could say, in tag team wrestling, and some due to them just being such a great pair of wrestlers and being a great team. And a tag team that you could say will live on forever. The Outsiders were all of that and so much more. Yeah, I, okay, you could say they rarely defended the WCW tag team titles when they held them, but so what? The wrestling was different at that time during the Attitude Era. The Outsiders, Hall and Nash, were the center of the NWO, the group that made wrestling cool again and thus letting Stone Cold Steve Austin and the people's champ Dwayne The Rock Johnson be born. They were funny yet serious. They joked around but kicked ass. They were bad and cool. And they were definitely one of the greatest tag teams of all time. We're prepared right now to give them an answer. They know who they are. I know they're here. Come on out, guys. But we've got some questions we've got to resolve before we do all that. Right off the bat, I want to let you know, right here, right now, I was in the WCW offices, debated, you want a match, you want a war, you want it inside of the ring, you're going to get it. I fell into the trap, big man. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got some couple considerations here. Before... We go a whole lot further. I will tell you, it'll be at Bash at the Beach, July 7th, in Daytona. I'm free. I'm but free. before we go any further, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, let's clear one thing up. Do you work for the WWF? No. How about it? No. Forget about the past, Chico. Let's worry about the future. We want to know who your three guys are. Is it, is it the uh, Nacho Man? I don't think so. And what about, what about the immortal Huckster? You know, you tell billionaire Ted to break out the money and get anybody you can because the big man and the medium-sized man and our surprise buddy are going to carve them I want to ask you a question right now. He's had his say. Who are they, man? Who are they? I can't tell you. I'll tell you tomorrow night on Nitro. That's the deal. You can't tell us? You don't jack us around, don't jack Oh, for Christ. Whoa. What are they doing? Security. Get up there right now. Oh, for. Stop. Get security up there. Unbelievable. Please. 
please get him. Unbelievable. This is sick. Yeah. Tony, I got it. They I'm, should they hold on. Where's the at? He's right down below us here. Oh my god. We're, we're gonna need some medical attention right now. Yes. Right now, ladies and gentlemen. Big boys. They just left the building. Hey, get these guys off here. Cut this thing off. Here comes the axe. Here comes the smasher. We're demolition. Walking disaster. Axe and smash of demolition. No tag team was more dominant than this pair at their time. Kiss and rock and roll meet turnbuckles and wrestling, and you get demolition. Axe and smash are three-time WWF World Tag Team Champions and are the Ironman of the division at that time. Holding the titles for nearly 698 days, no one even comes close to that number to this day. During their first run, they would hold the titles for over over a year before losing it to the Brain Busters, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Part of their success lies in the fact of how long they carry the titles during such it was during a, such a rich landscape of tag team wrestling. It wasn't like now where it was very bare bones. You had some competitive teams that, that came into play. Shortly after WrestleMania six, Crush joined Demolition, Brian Adams, and he was added to the tag team as a replacement for Axe due to an illness coming about. You know, Axe soon returned and Crush remained with Demolition and they became a trio rather than a rather than a duo. You know, so I know a lot of people were debating, you know, whether this would be a good move to add a third member, but at the time it was needed. You had a powerhouse of Crush who added a new element to the team, some height, some size, some power, and it gave them that, that Freebird style type of gimmick once Axe returned. You know, you didn't know which member of Demolition would be defending the tag team titles. A lot of people called Demolition LOD ripoffs. I, for one, believe that both of them, the LOD, the Road Warriors, and Demolition, had strengths and weaknesses that made them separate from one another. But you cannot deny that Demolition is one of the greatest tag teams in professional wrestling history.
Illinois. That's the new demolition. You like your attitude. I don't. The world's greatest tag team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Given their roles in WWE's developmental system, it seemed like Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin were destined for tag team greatness. Shelton was one half of the Minnesota stretching crew with fellow University of Minnesota alum Brock Lesnar. You may have heard of him, right? But while Charlie teamed up with his former with former Seton Hall wrestling teammate and his brother Russ Haas, they began to create a nice, a nice pair, and him and Brock drifted. However, before the expected pairings could debut in the WWE, fate intervened, and Brock was lined up for a gigantic singles push in the WWE, while Russ, the brother of Charlie, unexpectedly passed away. Undaunted, the two men continued with their professional wrestling careers, eventually debuting in the WWE as a part of Team Angle. Uh, during Paul Heyman's booking era of SmackDown, which was a great era, which we'll talk about in a future podcast. Though they were still rough around the edges, the two were very impressive early on, you know, more than holding their own weight in, in a feud that saw them repeatedly compete in high-profile matches against more experienced superstars and wrestlers like Chris Benoit and Edge. Um, after that, the two men moved on, setting their sights on the Tag Team Championship. At that particular point in time, they were known. It was known as the SmackDown Six era, had just come on to the scene and really made an imprint on SmackDown wrestling history. And SmackDown wrestling fans were used to seeing, you know, a, a boatload of tag team bouts on a weekly basis, which, which for me is a dream. Any tag team wrestling fan, that's a dream. Though they didn't quite live up to the Six's reputation. Haas and Benjamin almost single-handedly prevented the tag team division from disintegrating, in, and it basically developed it into something completely unwatchable and reinvented it and made it a must-see division, a must-see uh, segment in television, in, in SmackDown television. You could say great matches were put on with the likes of Los Guerreros, Eddie Guerrero, Tajiri, Billy Kidman, and Rey Mysterio, and the tag team division kept strong for several more months on top of it. But unfortunately, after their initial run, WWE's interest in pushing Haas and Benjamin disintegrated, you could say, in a in a very unpleasant pace. Though they managed to create some of the surprise some of, of the most surprisingly greatest matches with an over the hill at the time APA, the two young stars were ultimately forgotten about. Depushed, separated in 2004's draft, and thus the story of Haas and Benjamin is not one of true greatness, but is one of wasted potential at that time. Since then, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin have reformed in Ring of Honor and have laid out a new a new path of destiny, basically a new regime, a new era that lays out future matches for wrestling fans to enjoy. Demonstrates their capabilities post WWE and shows that they are still, to this day, one of the greatest tag teams ever in professional wrestling. Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray, a more modern day tag team consisting of real life brothers, 
Booker T and Stevie Ray, their success as a tag team started mainly when they hit then big time promotion World Championship Wrestling in the early nineties. They went on to become one of the to become actually ten time WCW World Tag Team Champions and sealing their fates as one of the greatest tag teams to enter the sport in many years. Winning the titles a record ten times, the most in his, in the history of WCW. During their time spent in the company, they engaged in several memorable matches and feuds with wrestlers such as Sting and Luger, the Steiner Brothers, the Road Warriors, among many more. Harlem Heat eventually split in 99 with Stevie Ray pending retirement and Booker T being built up for a main event singles push. However, their legacy lived on as one of WCW's best and brightest tag teams of the 90s, which earns their place, I believe, on my list of wrestling's greatest tag teams. And I will not forget Harlem Heat, with Sister Sherry leading the way and them basically taking out the public enemy, taking out Sting and Luger with the Harlem sidekick, the Harlem hangover. And I I would always love WCW Saturday Nights getting to see these two big men from Harlem kicking ass, taking names, and winning tag team titles. A match that really is turning out to be something else because, I guess, of the high stakes. The winner of this one getting a shot at Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the WCW Heavyweight Championship of the World. The winner of this four-corner match between Lex Luger, the Giant, these two men here tonight, indeed is a big, big match in all of their careers. However, I should point out for the record something different. The way you win this one is with the first pin or the first submission. And Sister Sherry, you may be directing traffic. It's conceivable these two men will face each other. We have everything planned out. We have our strategy down to a minute point. It doesn't matter if they're in there together because we have a plan for that too. We have gone over and over and over again. And no matter which one's in there, we're behind the other. Divide and conquer. I thank you very much. Booker T, we've seen the intensity of the matches here tonight, and I expect the same thing is going to happen in this four-corner match. Let me tell you something, Gino, can you out here talking about a click? The only click you need to know about is the Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry. See, because what you're dealing with here is the brotherhood. It's nonstop from this point on in WCW. We take what we want, and after we take Lex Luger and the Giant, we want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, sucker. I should point out for the record, Stevie Ray, look at this. Take a look. We're talking about the rack, the torture rack of Lex Luger. And what about the choke slam of the Giant? These are the things you're going to have to deal with tonight. What about the Harlem hangover? What about the heat seeker? What about the Tower Inferno? I don't see nobody talking about that. You think we came out here because it's time for rumper room, sucker? Well, let me tell you something. When me and my brother go to school, <laughs> the principal checks out Lex Luger. Giant, get ready, because we coming for the gold. That's Hulk Hogan's gold, and you two suckers are in the way. We're taking you out one at a time. Now, can you dig it? I thank you very much. I suspect, Sister Sherry, like many of the managerial uh, uh, people that I've uh, known, if uh, your men come up with a victory tonight, I'm assuming there's going to be a little party. There is going to be a great big party in Harlem tonight. We're going to pick our skirts up, and we're going to knock our legs all over the place, and we're going to... 
Celebrate the gold. Gene, yes. there's a lot of knuckleheads out there have been looking over the Harlem heat. But after the night, after we get the shot with Hulk Hogan, all the knucklehead suckers can lay to rest because we taking it all. Now, can you dig it? All right, Harlem Heat sister Sherry, I thank you. By the way, Bobby Heenan, you probably... The Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika, were inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2007. The two rarely spoke and had their manager, the late, great... Captain Lou Albano doing the speaking for them. Though they carried over 21 titles from around the world at one time, they held the WWE Tag Team titles on three different occasions. The duo was together for around 20 years and were trained by Dwayne The Rock Johnson's grandfather, High Chief Peter Maivia. The two brothers, who are the exact same height, are both residing in Florida now and to this day are still remembered as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. No tag team may have been more successful than the Wild Samoans. The two men started off as wrestling fans and got to live their dream and become tag team champions. They were, they were known for being one of the most intimidating tag teams of their era and created a gimmick that would long outlive their in-ring tenure and the Samoans truly deserve a place in the annals of, of, of being one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Teams to this day will mimic the, the Samoans. We saw Umaga mimic the style of Samoans. We saw, you know, Samu and Fatu, the head shrinkers, mimic the Samoans. To this day, and I believe we will continue on and see, uh, I think down the line, the Usos, you'll see styles of the Wild Samoans. Hi, wrestling fans, again, you just saw them in action. The Wild, the Vicious, the New Samoans. And ladies and gentlemen, remember, they are signed not only for that great card coming up, March 23rd, Saturday night at the New Haven Coliseum, but also that great Pro Wrestling USA spectacular scheduled for the Meadowlands on Friday, April 19th. Tickets on sale for both matches now at the box office, all Ticketron locations. And remember, when you go up and ask for professional wrestling tickets and they try and sell you this or that, say, "Uh uh-uh, I want Pro Wrestling USA. Now, if you will, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, coming up Saturday, the 23rd, the New Haven Coliseum, the Samoans against the Youngbloods, and then that big 20-man, $50,000 battle royal. I'm really looking forward to getting to New Haven, but first of all, I want to say how proud I am and how proud the Samoans are to be right here at Pro Wrestling USA. They're no strangers to you in New Haven. You know all about them. You see them at their worst. Well, when they're at their worst, they're at their best. And this is the new improved edition now. Let's not forget, before, because they were misguided and had bad management, they took it easy on a few guys. Well, here, I'm here now to say that that's not going to happen anymore. These guys are going to run roughshod over everybody. And I'm pointing these remarks right at you, young bloods. The great brother Indian team. Well, we're going to see just how fine you are March 23rd in New Haven, Connecticut. $50,000 Battle Royal. Who's got a better chance of walking out with that? Take a look at the group right here. $50,000 worth a party on the 23rd. And we're going to be at the Meadowlands. That's right, on the 19th of April. We're going to be there, and it doesn't matter who they sign. Who's going to be in the opposite corner doesn't matter to us because we're going to take them apart inch by inch and limb by limb. Like I said, mark my words, the new improved Samoan. All right, fans, remember, coming up Saturday, March 23rd, New Haven Coliseum. The Midnight Express, another legendary tag team which over the years had many, many members. 
I like me, I believe I like Beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan Lane. But the two most recognizable and famous incarnations were Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton. And then Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton, of course, which I believe is my favorite. But the Midnight Express are perhaps remembered mostly for their legendary feud with the Rock and Roll Express, which is partly responsible for today's modern-day tag team divisions. Beautiful Bobby himself is considered one of the founding fathers of modern-day tag team wrestling. And this was due to his tenure in the Midnight Express. The two incarnations mentioned above, you know, are the most successful and the most remembered, setting and paving the way for future tag teams to make their way in this division. Take your pick between Eaton and Condry, or Eaton and Lane, one was good as the other, and both did incredible things for tag team wrestling in the second half of the 1980s. Whether it be World Class or the UWF or the NWA, the Midnight Express could be counted on for a number of things. First off, they, they were good at, to take double teaming to a whole new level. It started with the rocket launcher and grew to the divorce court and then, and then the Vegematic and the double flapjack. Make no mistake about it, about it, the Midnight Express were the greatest double team artists of all time. Secondly, they could be counted on for the upper card and main event heels, whether it be feuding with Magnum TA, Bill Watts, the Fantastics, the Rock and Roll Express. They were going to, to draw a ton of heat no matter who they faced. Finally, you, well, you also knew you'd get a tremendous amount of matches out of them every single time out. Right, the, right at the end of the, end of the team, they were putting on top-notch top matches with with. Pillman and Tom Zink, you know, on their way out of the NWA slash WCW at the time. Somewhere somewhere between their debut in the Mid-South and their last match in the WCW, you could see the Midnight's feud with the Fantastics, Mr. Wrestling 2, the Rock and Roll Express, the original Midnight Express, the Samoan SWAT team, the Dynamic Dudes, Pillman and Zink, like I said, the Horsemen, the Road Warriors, Ronnie Garvin and the Freebirds. I can keep going on and on. And every feud as important as as what went on inside the ring was what was going on outside of the ring. Their manager, Jim Cornette, became the prototypical heel manager by playing a loudmouth, braggadocious, cowardly heel that got his men into some hot water, you could say, at the time. He was never afraid to bail them out with a well-placed tennis racket shot, you know, low blow, distracting the referee, whichever got the two men over is what Jim Cornette did. Cornette, combination with Midnight Express, they came together to work magic that's never been duplicated and I don't think we'll ever see again in professional wrestling, specifically in Big Bubba, 
There the monster is. that he is standing in the ring. This is Dick Worley right here. Right. We have we have screens at the top. No! No! Right, Dick Worley saw it. He saw it from the screens. He's disqualified the Midnight Express. Ladies and gentlemen, the United States Tag Team Champions, beautiful Bobby, Stan Lane. What is Big Bobby doing here? Let me tell you here? something, David Crockett, being the paramount national announcer you are. I know there's one question that you're dying to ask me and Bobby. And that's, how does it feel to be the new world tag team champions? No. Hey, go ahead and ask us that. You're not. Ask us. We are the champions just because some wino referee the broken nose was out here. He had no business. He was not sanctioned to be in this match. These steps did it all. And I know you're wondering if we did it for all the thousands and thousands of people that write to us every week on national TV. I know you're wondering if we did it for all the people that stick in the shut-ins that love us so much. You know, Bobby and myself are role models for America's youth. We're Christian athletes. I know you wanted to predict it for the civic organizations, the Boy Scout troops that call us and want us to speak to them. But no, we didn't do it for any of those people, David Crockett. We did it for just two people. Two people in this whole wide world. And one of them right now, and it upsets both of us to even think about it, one of them is lying prone on his back right now in a hospital bed. I'm talking about our dear beloved manager, Jim Cornette. A man, David, who's never even attempted to be an athlete. All he does is give us spiritual guidance. He gives 80% of his gross earnings to charity. He co-wrote We Are The World. He's a good, good Christian human being. And the Rock and Roll Express jumped him last week, put an illegal leg lock on his leg, and he's in traction right now. And his mother, God rest her soul, she's right there beside him, holding his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it for them, them, with the new world champions. Forget it. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with eight-man cage match right after this. Edge and Christian, ENC, totally awesome. Best friends build as brothers. They would feud with the Dudley Boys, the Hardys, competing in many TLC matches along the way. Their famous concerto finisher, a double chair shot, which was often used by the duo, was it will be known forever in the annals of time as such a devastating maneuver. Yeah, I raked in fifty-five dollars. See, the key is to get the kids because they're really stupid. Hey, good call. Hey, Andrew Christian, can I ask you guys a question? Shoot. Sure. Tag team titles are on the line tonight against the Acolytes and the Hardy Boys. Stiff competition. Why would you put your titles on the line in a match like that? Well, why would you dye your hair like a 14-year-old girl? What do you mean, why? We're the fightingest champions of all time. That's what we do. And besides, this isn't about the Acolytes or the Hardy Boys. It's about the fans. And for the citizens of Cleveland who can afford flash photography, we have a very special surprise in store for them. To this day, Edge and Christian were known as revolutionizing tag team wrestling in the nineteen in the late nineties into early two thousands. Edge became a world heavyweight champion. Christian recently became a world heavyweight champion. And both men brought their love of professional wrestling as young youngsters and brought it out as modern day gladiators in the squared circle and became superstars on their own right and were successful as a combination and as an unbelievable duo and as individuals in the squared circle. Both men pr- provided char- charisma, the athletic ability, and the teamwork needed to be successful in professional wrestling. And I think forever, in my book, Edge and Christian will be 
locked in as one of the greatest tag teams in professional wrestling history. Citizens of Cleveland, your World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions so have a treat for all of you tonight. For the benefit of those with flash photography, tonight we will unveil a very special new pose. For five seconds only. New pose. We call this a Cleveland Indians relief pitcher. Cleveland Indians relief pitcher. These guys are so full of themselves these days. Get your camera out. It's embarrassing for them. The Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff Hardy. Brothers from a small town in Cameron, North Carolina, with big dreams and heavy hearts, they achieved a lot together in the world of professional wrestling. Well before their days as solid competitors in the WWE, they were a very, very successful tag team for a very long time. They would hold the tag team titles on six separate occasions and drop jaws and dazzle crowds during the TLC tables, ladders, and chairs matches, the ladder matches, the table matches alone, and SummerSlam, WrestleMania moments, you name it, they defy the odds and they dazzle crowds. Currently, we know Jeff and Matt are with TNA, or Impact Wrestling, but their hit, their storied history was developed in the WWE. You could say, welcome to SpotFest. Brothers Matt and Jeff made a name for themselves the old-fashioned way, taking hard bumps and impressing crowds. By nearly destroying their bodies in an attempt to gain popularity, say what you will about the lack of psychology and things of that nature, the antics of Matt and Jeff got them over in a big way with modern wrestling, well, you could say with the modern wrestling audience. Matt was the more ground of the of the two, while Jeff was, you could say, suicidal in the ring. And it made for a fun combination that gelled and fit perfectly as a duo. The pure spectacle of their matches combined with the quality performances with Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys, and you've got a team worth remembering. To this day, people will remember the Hardy Boys and for the throughout the rest of time in professional wrestling, people will, will remember the Hardy Boys. Being lifelong fans, becoming superstars, becoming champions, they've done it all together. And they redefined tag team wrestling. When it comes to being a great tag team, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of certain elements that I think two individuals need to share amongst one another. And uh, first and foremost, it just needs to be they need to have a good relationship. Because if you're not friends, if you're not buddies, and if you don't trust each other, the tag team thing definitely isn't going to work out for you, uh, at least not long anyway. The Funks, the Funk Brothers, they were, just, they were more than just a good tag team. They may well have changed the course of Japanese wrestling history. After establishing a relationship with Giant Baba in 1970, in the, well, in the 1970s, Terry and Dory were instrumental in helping establish All Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972. Not only were they the top foreign stars in the company, but they also worked in important office roles as well, acting as the link between AJPW in Japan and all of the American talent that the company wished to bring in. They were the 
the liaison, the gap between the two. On top of that, they were trainers for the company, helping former sumo star and uh, sumo stars and professional wrestlers get into the sport. You know, it's a role that a man would become an icon to the Japanese. They became icons to the Japanese. Terry and Dory were were just as successful in the ring as out of the ring as they captured three real World League tournament titles in the late 1970s and early 80s. It was not long after that this final tournament victory that the team participated in one of the most memorable moments in wrestling history where Terry announced his retirement while soaked in blood. One of uh, one of a million times Terry announced his retirement, right? Still fresh from his match against Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy. The scene, I don't know if you remember, was briefly shown and beyond the mat. It tugs at the at, at your heartstrings like few others, right? I, it really gets you, but... The two brothers also worked together in other companies, including the WWF and Smoky Mountain. They will best be remembered for their work in Japan, where they were an excellent tag team, both inside the ring and in the front office as well, and they were Hall of Famers. And everyone remembers Terry Funk from his ECW days, but the Funk brothers made an unbelievable tag team and changed the course of tag team wrestling. And revolutionized hardcore and that 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 brawl style that was implemented in tag team wrestling that we saw you could say um represented or spearheaded by the nasty boys moving into the 90s the funk brothers are a team that i would consider one of the greatest of all time invader did to Pierre Martel, he tried to do to my brother the same way with the hard punch. And what does Frenchie Martel do? He sits back there and accepts it as fate. But I don't accept what happened to my brother, and I never will. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the former invaders suffer... And I would like to take and run my finger into his eyes and jerk his eyeballs from his head. But then the man would not be able to see. And what I really want to do is I want to mark this man for life. I want him to wake up every morning and look into the mirror and see his disfigured face. And if I have to, when I'm in that ring and oh, how I want to, I'm going to inch upon his face and I am going to clamp my teeth into the man's flesh and I will rip his nose from his face in spite of himself because I am going to come to Puerto Rico and I'm going to teach that dirty scummy slime that he can't treat a funk like he did. 
I'm coming. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew. The family tradition started with Ole and Gene Anderson in the 1970s. Their no-nonsense, brutal approach to tag team wrestling dominated for a long time as they accumulated five NWA World Tag Team titles, six Georgia Tag Team titles, four Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Championships over the span of 11 years. Gene retired due to health problems, and the crew went on a sabbatical for a little while, but it was in 1985 and 86 that Arn and Ole Anderson reformed the Wrecking Crew, but they never won gold. But they did become a part of, the, in my opinion, the greatest faction of professional wrestling, the original Four Horsemen. This was before Ole was kicked out in favor of Lex Luger, but the Minnesota Wrecking Crew became synonymous for the hard-nosed, brutal, basic wrestling. A heel team whose gimmick was simply that they were tougher, meaner, and basically better than you. They didn't intimidate with, with huge bodies or yelling threats. They did it quietly, telling opponents how they were going to hurt you and how they were going to carry out their threats with methodical precision and acts of violence. In the process, the two became pioneers of an art form whose influence can still be felt to this day, and I will still put the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the Andersons, up against any top brawling tag team in professional wrestling, no matter who you Back are. again with the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Arn Anderson, and a prediction you talked about. Well, you know, they call me a Rhodes Scholar now because I know more about Dusty Rhodes than any man on earth. That's prediction right. I'm going to make is this. Right. Rhodes can't stay very long. His body is getting punished too much, and with me coming back like that, I'm sure he sees a light. And I predict this year... Sometime in 1986, that Dusty Rhodes is going to announce his retirement. And when he does, it's going to be a great day for the four horsemen. When he does, I'm going to buy a beer for everybody all around. Wherever you see me, you walk up and you just tell me, Dusty Rhodes retired, and I'm going to buy you a beer, I'm going to buy you a meal. And you be looking, because it's going to happen. You see some of these other people, looking at Magnum T.A., one of the boys that follows around like a little puppy dog behind Dusty Rhodes. How about the Rock and Roll Express? I'll tell you something about the Rock and Roll Express. They're good. They're young. They're strong. They come back from injuries. That's important to be young. But I'll tell you this. They're scared. You look at them. They're scared. They're scared now that the four horsemen are back. They're scared that the Andersons are together. You don't have to believe me. Go ask them. Go ask the Rock and Roll Express. We're too big. We're too strong. We're just too good. Anybody that gets in our way... They're going to find out just how good we are. The four horsemen back, we're going to take everything. We're going after the world tag. We're going after the single, which we've now got. We're going to keep. We're going to take that U.S. We're going to have the TV. We're going to have them all. Anybody gets in our way, they're going to find out. Rhodes, you're a marked man. Jimmy Valiant, no problem. Magnum TA, no problem. Rock and Roll Express, no problem. We're going through y'all. I told you before, I'm dead serious. We don't do a lot of cute stuff. I don't want to yell and don't want to holler. Just want to tell you like it is. We're straight from the shoulder when we say we're better than anybody else. If you don't believe it, you try us. And I don't mean just in the ring. I mean anywhere. I mean we're that good. And I guarantee you, you get a little taste of the Andersons, you get a little taste of the Four Horsemen. You're not going to like it. We're here to stay. We're going to beat everybody that we meet. We're going to take all the belts that we can take. The four horsemen are back. The Andersons are back. What can I say to top that, Tony? Go get him, Tony! 
The Andersons. What we just started. The British Bulldogs. The Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith. After Vince McMahon bought out Canada Stampede Wrestling in 1984, the British Bulldogs became a part of the World Wrestling Federation. After a feud with the Hart Foundation, it was on to Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake and a shot for the tag team titles. A match at WrestleMania 2 would be their last chance at the belts, which was a very underrated. It was a great match, and we actually mentioned it on a WrestleMania Moments podcast as well. They cashed in. They won the titles on the grandest stage of them all. But after a back injury to Dynamite Kid, the, the British Bulldogs were, fo- were basically forced to find a replacement partner. Davy Boy Smith had to go search. But Davy Boy ended up dropping the tag team titles to the Hart Foundation, and the 1988 Survivor Series would be the last pay-per-view for the Bulldogs. They only carried the titles one time, you know, and that was at WrestleMania 2, but they nearly had them for an entire year, which now is, that would never happen. Great Britain's pride and joy, the most successful British tag team to ever compete across the pond in the U.S. The British Bulldogs consisted of real-life cousins, Davy Boy Smith and Tom Billington, the Dynamite Kid, and created in one of the toughest territories wrestling has ever seen, the British Bulldogs entered the WWF from Stampede Wrestling, and they excelled in both areas. No matter where they went, they excelled. They weren't overly big, Actually, they were one of the smallest teams of their era in, in you could say, overall size. But they were muscular, they were thick, and they were also agile as, on top of it. The Bulldogs ended back in the Ailing Stampede area where they quickly won the tag titles, eventually split, and they started a feud as well. But Davey Boy eventually came back to the WWF, having a successful run as a singles competitor, becoming the Intercontinental Champion uh, at SummerSlam against Bret Hart, which is a great match in itself. He became the Federation's first ever European champion and a legitimate heavyweight championship contender with his brother-in-law, Owen Hart, capturing the WWF Tag Team titles on top of it. But the legendary Dynamic Kid who revolutionized wrestling as a cruiserweight in Japan, also brought the high-risk style to the World Wrestling Federation. The British Bulldogs were one of the greatest tag teams in professional wrestling history. If I may at this time make some introductions from England. The British Bulldogs, collectively they are known as the British Bulldogs. To my left, Dynamite Kid. To my immediate right, none other than Davy Boy Smith. Welcome, first of all, to the World Wrestling Federation. A little bit on your background, if I may start with you, Davy. Where are you from and how did the two of you get together? Well, um, we're both from a little town called Wigan in England. Uh, Wigan? Oh, yeah, yes. Wigan, the old wrestling town. Is that in the coal mining areas, I recall? I, all coal mining. Everything's right. coal mining. We grew up together. Uh, we're both cousins, you know. I'll have to sneak in here if I can, if I can get the dynamite kid along. Yeah, yes. We're both cousins. We was brought up together. We trained together. We work out together. And we've been wrestling together for a long, long time. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Dynamite Kid, you've got fans of the World Wrestling Federation absolutely buzzing with your high flying. That seems to be a, a mark for Davy Boy Smith and yourself. You know something, Gene? This is the first time the Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith have been to the U.S. of A. We're very proud to be here. We're going to stay here. The British Bulldogs are strong. They're aggressive. They're looking. They're hungry. They're looking for competition. Volkov, High and Sheik, Valentine, you name them, we're, here. we're going to wrestle them. We're going to the top. 
We're good. There's not one moving professional wrestling that we don't know. Or if there is, it hasn't been invented yet. The British Bulldogs are strong. They're going to go ahead. They're going for championship belts. We mean it. We mean business. That's all I can say. Thank you, USA. The Briscoe Brothers. Americana defined. Jack and Jerry Briscoe were the all-American boys that battled those evil Texas brothers, Terry and Dory, for decades. Both outstanding amateur athletes, the Briscoes incorporated that style into their ring work. They weren't the first to do so, but they were arguably the most successful. Throughout the 1970s and 1980s, the brothers alternated between singles and tag team competition in Florida, Georgia, and other NWA territories. Jack was a two-time NWA world champion, while Jerry has held several junior heavyweight titles on his own. But together, the brothers held over 20 tag team championships, and they were to the 1970s what the Steiners were to the 1990s. Hall of Famers, one of the all-time greatest tag teams in professional wrestling. With the world tag team champions, uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe from Oklahoma State. You know, the people in Atlanta, they've seen my brother and myself in every type of situation. We've more or less mastered the entire professional wrestling field. We can do it all. The Road Warriors, you can do a little bit. You can come out and you can cause a lot of trouble. You can come out and you can cause mayhem. You can come out and you can paint your face and put those boots on and kick me up one side and down the other. But when you get through with me, Road Warriors, you're looking at a world's champion, a national champion, and any other kind of a champion that he wants to be. And then what are you going to do, Road Warriors? Are you going to run? Are you going to use your name? And are you going to back off? Because there's one thing about it. You're looking at the world's best tag team. It's proven time and time again. We've taken on the biggest challengers, the best challengers, Anderson, Hanson, any of them. And what have they done? They've all bitten the dust. Brother Jack, what do you think the road warriors, who are tremendous street fighters, what do you think that they can do against two wrestlers? Well, I tell you, Joe, I've been wrestling all my life, and I know you have too. And I've been in a lot of barroom brawls, and that's all the world warriors can do is barroom brawl. Brother, I never seen the day when we or I couldn't put the Oklahoma ride on some barroom brawler and ride him all over the Omni till they run out of gas and that tongue's dragging their ground. We'll mop the whole floor of the Omni up while with their tongues because they'll be so blowed up. They won't be able to even fight, let alone wrestle, because they don't know nothing about wrestling. The Dudley Boys, Devon and Bubba Ray, now known as Team 3D, Wrestled as a tag team in the WWE for six years. They're currently in TNA where they won a record high eight WWE World Tag Team Championships during their career. A wooden table never became so popular in wrestling as it did when these two got their hands on one. They would win tons of matches by putting their opponents through the table via the 3D, the Dudley Death Drop. That's their finishing move, which debuted in Extreme Championship Wrestling. ECW, WWE, TNA, Impact Wrestling, Team 3D has definitely made an impact. During the years, the Dudleys would feud with Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys in their 
epic TLC matches. The years when these three tag teams were going at it may have been known, or to this day, it is known to be the greatest two to three years in the history of the WWE tag team division. They've learned, they've earned legendary status by holding every major world tag team championship in America. And they've held championships in Japan on top of it. They're widely known and widely renowned for this fact and are granted as one of the greatest tag teams of all time and will mostly likely go down in the history books as one of the greatest modern day era, if not the greatest of all time. The tag team originated in the old Extreme Championship Wrestling as a stable with several other members of Dudley's, but the team of Brother Ray and Brother Devon were best known of the stable and were the most popular. They went on to capture the Tag Team Championship in ECW a record eight times. They eventually won the WWF slash E Championships capturing them as well. They captured them there again eight times as well as an unofficial WCW World Tag Team Championship run. So to put a long story short, Team 3D Dudley Boys are one of the most decorated tag teams of the modern era and without a doubt when it comes the, when it comes for the time to ring the bell for them to retire they will be remembered definitely as one of the best of all time recently they claimed the NWA and later the TNA World Tag Team Championship adding two more trophies to their record books and they were in a feud with the Steiner brothers in TNA, they split. Now we have Bully Ray and Brother Devon. But forever, the Dudley Boys will be known as one of the best of all time. Oh, my brother, testify. God may have rested on the seventh day, but the Dudleys don't. Sunday night, April 13th, Eliminators, it's time to testify. Eliminators. How does it feel? How does it feel to lose sleep at night knowing that you ain't the best tag team in the world anymore? We've taken everything that you guys got to offer. Hurricane Cronus, Air Saturn, every moonsault, Every flip, every punch, every kick. This Sunday night, in front of the world, barely legal. What makes you think anything is gonna be different? When we return here on Beyond the Bell, we'll go over... Our final list, our final tag teams that made the cut for the greatest duos of all time. We'll be right back on the SNS Radio Network. WrestlingOnline.com, the official news source of Wrestling News Live. You're looking for the latest news in the world of MMA and professional wrestling Log on to www.wrestling-online.com 
and sign up for the largest and longest-running newsletter on the Internet today with over 26,000 subscribers and over 3,000 issues. And the best part, just like WNL, it's free! Once again, that's www.wrestlingonline.com. Since 1996, Audio Wrestling has been getting in the ring as your definitive source for all your wrestling desires. Interviews with some of pro wrestling's biggest stars. Providing you with a wide selection of award-winning wrestling shows from past and present. Such as Ministry of Slam, Monday Night Mayhem, In Your Head, WrestleCast, Sunday Night Showdown, Wrestling News Live, Between the Ropes, RVD Radio, WrestleCast, and Wrestle Talk Radio, and many others. If you can't get enough Mad Mania, climb into the ring with Audio Wrestling, www.audiowrestling.com, and check out all the real voices of wrestling radio. Audio Wrestling, keeping you tuned in since 1996. Wrestling is really all that matters to me. For 39 years, I'll never give up. I'll never stop loving it. I'd rather be a wrestler than any kind of athlete at any level. I'd rather be Ric Flair than LeBron James. It's a way of life. And there are millions of people around the world that thrive on what we do and what we give them each week. Don't miss Impact Wrestling, Thursdays at 9 on Spike. Wrestling fans matter, and most of all, wrestling matters. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Wrestling Radio Tips on how to host your very own wrestling radio show. Wrestling Radio Tip 101, take listener phone calls. Here's how it works. You set up a phone line, and when a listener calls in, you answer just like this. All right, let's let's go back to the phone lines. Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? What? Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? What? Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? Okay. <laughs> I I don't really follow Hulk Hogan because I, I just kind of find him up to be a, a washed up douchebag. The skeet 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 skeet. Yeah. It's it's been booming in the warehouse with with Sincata just starting in WWE. The t-shirts and the mask have been up in the sky. You know, so your tennis shoes are in the side. I throw a hoodie to hold up on them. All you have to wait for the shoelaces to come in. In the bottom sole. What? 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 Ah, <laughs> okay. Well, what you gonna do, brother? Well, I just take off my shirt. Yeah. Say my prayers. Eat my vitamins. Yeah. Say no to the holy God. And I'm gonna go after you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. What you gonna do when the two-inch pythons run wild on you? <laughs> Bye, little. Hey you, yeah I'm talking to you, 
Have you checked out the new Unplugged on Friday nights? Well, if you haven't, make sure you check out the new Unplugged Friday nights with JJ Sexay at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 Mountain Standard Time, where JJ covers Smackdown, video games, and whatever the hell else he feels like. See you in chat. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Your host, Sean Beckerman, here with you. Not only will the Four Horsemen be remembered as possibly the greatest professional wrestling faction of all time, but they will be remembered as producing some of the greatest tag team wrestlers to ever be introduced into this fine sport, uh, this fine entertainment, whatever you want to call it. The Horsemen consisted of four members, the originals, Nature Boy Ric Flair, Woo! The Enforcer, Arn Anderson, his brother, Ole Anderson, and last but certainly not least, Tully Blanchard. The teams often changed. Arn and Ole teamed together, being one of the most memorable tag teams. They were a prominent and occasional tag team within the Horsemen, but the more memorable, in my opinion, the more memorable tag team of the group would have been Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. They're responsible for many long-standing feuds within the NWA. Although both the Andersons and Blanchard have held World Tag Team Championships in the NWA during their time spent with the Horsemen, back in the late 80s, they were the biggest heel faction in the world. The entire world. And they're remembered mainly for that era, although the Horsemen name actually ran all the way into the WCW up until late 99 with different members along the way. But the original Horsemen, however, remained the best known of all their inca- all the incarnations we saw, Mongo and all. They are regarded as possibly the greatest faction of all time, not to mention their mention and recognition in my list of the greatest professional wrestling tag team of all time. From the NWA slash WCW, Tully and Arn moved on to the World Wrestling Federation, managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan, and became the Brain Busters. A very effective tag team as well. Brought that old school feel that I yearned being a WWF fan at the time. I loved seeing them together. They shortly left. Arn Anderson came back to World Championship Wrestling, and now he's an agent in the WWE. But I believe Tully and Arn were one of the greatest tag teams of all time. And, I put a slight second there, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Arn and Ole. Ladies and gentlemen, the World Tag Team Champions, Iron Anderson, Tully Blanchard, with their manager, J.J. Dillon. David Crockett, when you go into a civil war, you don't go into a civil war looking over your shoulder. You don't go into it demented, screaming, hollering, off the wall like Kevin Sullivan. You go in with a clear, cool, calm, collected head. Because any athlete, I don't care what sports you name, never competes 46 straight days at top-level competition. And the only way to come out of it with your health, with your life, and going in with the gold, the only way to come out with the gold is to use that same level-headed philosophy that we live 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It starts in the morning, you hit the gym, you get it out of the way. Then it goes strategy in the afternoon, and when you get to work, 
you put your hands together, you come up with that winning formula, that's how you become a world champion. The Great American Bash to us is just another day for the four horsemen to shine. So whether it's Tampa, Dallas, Charlotte Coliseum, Baltimore, any major city across this country, we're going to be doing no different, no demented ramblings. And if you want to know the guy I referred to looking over his shoulder, no man ever want to wrestle a match, Luger, looking over his shoulder. You can't attack. A frontal attack's the only thing's going to beat Ric Flair, and you looking for shadows coming out of dark alleys is going to be your downfall. Tell him, Tony. <laughs> you know, Double A said so well, but you get it right down to that point. You focal right down on the one point. You talk about Baltimore, July the 10th. You and I have to defend our part of the horseman gold against Nikita Koloff and Sting. You know, Sting likes to come out here beat on his chest. They all like to flex, and they all like to talk about how everybody else is going to help them. We don't need no help. We're the best team in professional wrestling throughout history. That's why we have these and why we can talk about it. So on the 10th, when you guys walk down that aisle, don't worry about Luger. Don't worry about Dr. Death. Don't worry about the Road Warriors. You two gentlemen, worry about yourselves. Prove to the wrestling world that you are something to be reckoned with. Because on July the 10th, Double A and myself, along with JJ, are going to carry the gold down the aisle and walk back out with it. Let's roll on to the team that you could say invented the music entrance slash spectacle that is professional wrestling. What am I talking about? You may be wondering yourselves. I'm talking about the fabulous Freebirds. Michael P.S. Hayes, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, and Buddy Jack Roberts were a tag team who developed the Freebird Rule. What's this free bird, free, free bird rule? Demolition took advantage of it. Other teams have LAX to this day. This free bird rule. The Outsiders also as well followed this rule. Well, what's this rule you keep barking about, ring announcer Sean Beckerman? Well, the rule states or allows that any two of the three team members can defend their tag team belts, which was supposed to provide a psychological advantage or a psychological edge against their opponents. Actually, this rule was used prior to the Freebirds, but became famous by the boys from Bad Street, USA. Other teams to use this rule, like we said, were the Midnight Express in SECW with Norval Austin, the Russians in JCP, like we mentioned, Demolition, as well as many, many others. The Freebirds held various titles during the 80s, including the NWA National Tag Team Championship, the NWA Mid-American Titles, the Mid-South titles, the WCW United States Championship, the WCW World Championship, and the NWA American titles. Woof. Nice resume right there alone. They also won six-man tag team championships. Boy, I love to see those six-man tag team titles. While they won while being in WCCW and WCW. But while in WCCW, the Freebirds feuded with the Von Erichs, one of the most legendary feuds of all time and we'll get to that in a future show at beyond the bell when we dedicate it to all-time rivalries and feuds and many feel that this feud with the von erics and free birds is the most exciting feud in wrestling history of course it was a good versus bad the free birds knew how to be the best heels in the business they were so good as heels that they were popular with many fans which was almost taboo during the good guy bad guy era 
But while in the AWA, the Freebirds brawled with the Road Warriors, proving to be one of the one of the very few tag teams who could stand toe to toe with the men from Chicago, Illinois. Their match at Super Clash in Comiskey Park was a classic and was so cool when the Freebirds fought with the Confederate flag painted on their face. It, that, that was classic. May I say, legendary. The fabulous Freebirds introduced music to their entrances, playing from Bad Street, Bad Street USA, you know, Freebirds USA, coming out to the ring dancing, entertaining the crowd. One of the originators. We had a previous podcast where we dedicated to the top wrestling themes, themes of all time, but the Freebirds, you could say, were the inventors of entrance music in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Well, it's pandemonium here today on World Championship Wrestling. It's obvious that Bud Sawyer, the Mad Dog, had the man defeated. And it took, it took David Crockett, it took all the Russians to come in and salvage that. Jimmy Valiant is still down. Dusty Rhodes came in. But let's give it to Mad Dog Bud Sawyer. Quite a match. Now I'm here with Freebird Michael Hayes, one of the top contenders for the NWA World Heavyweight title. Well, you know something, brother? These Coloss are going around here talking about they're the six-man champs. How could that even be? They've never even wrestled the Freebirds. But that's beside the point. You're talking about Ric Flair. One thing that he said was right on key. He is the world champion right now. You see, right now. Now, he was talking about he's out here with ladies that have been standing in line. Yeah, they've been standing on line with the rest of them down there on Stewart Avenue. And I think everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Now, he come out here and he says, he says, hey, Michael Hayes, he said, this ain't rock and roll, baby. This is the gold. This, you ain't got to tell me what it is. I know. 26 years old and I've had my head banged around for eight years. I don't need no sissy bridge punk like you telling me what it's about. So as you get this straight, baby, Atlanta, GA, Hotlanta is the Freebirds town, man. And we drank enough whiskey to float a battleship around, but we don't let no sissy like you run us out of town. And yes, we are bubba bad to the bone, and yes, we have been known to drink alone. But when the title shot comes, I'm not going to be alone because Hotlanta's going to be behind me. And when you're looking at me... When you're looking at it, Ric Flair, it's going to be like this. Me and you, peas in a pot, and the peas would be jumping if the water wasn't hot. Freebird Michael Hayes. We'll be back with more right after this. This next tag team, I truly feel, is what the definition of tag team wrestling is all about in terms of how it could benefit professional wrestling, sports entertainment, in the future and how it could produce stars and how it produces another or creates another avenue to generate stars. The Hart Foundation. Jim the Anvil Nightheart and his brother-in-law Brett Hitman Hart ruled the World Wrestling Federation slash WWE Tag Team Division for a nearly good three solid years. A team that would almost actually didn't come almost didn't come to fruition believe it or not but eventually turned down by management became a reality in 1985 the Hart Foundation would go on to win the tag team titles on two separate occasions feuding with the Legion of Doom the Road Warriors the British Bulldogs the Rockers along the way the Hart Foundation much like the aforementioned 
four horsemen were not only a tag team, but later on in the future, an actual faction, a stable, which we'll talk about in a future show. The original Hart Foundation, however, consisted of Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, like we discussed, managed by the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. The team enjoyed success in the WWF originally as heels, bringing in a fresh new approach to the WWF's tag team division, with Bret being the more technical and agile performer and the Anvil being the powerhouse brawler. The team eventually turned face after Jimmy Hart turned his back on him, and they got over with the fans immensely. It was it was so dramatic and such a, such an intense change, and it led to two runs with the tag team championship. The original foundation eventually split up after Brett started his singles run, but their legacy still remains. The time. I mean, basically, the time they broke into the WWF as a tag team was a time where great and innovative tag teams were quite rare within the company, kind of like now. And the foundation set the foundation, no pun intended, for the future great tag teams over their tenure as face and heel engaging in amazing and memorable matches with the likes of the Bulldogs, Freebirds, and Rougeos. They were released onto the tag team circuit at exactly the right time, I believe. And they left behind a legacy which many modern day teams look up to and the legend still lives lives on. And I truly feel that this is an avenue that the World Wrestling Entertainment, I'm sorry, the WWE is neglecting now these days because you have the opportunity to create stars via a tag team division. It's another avenue on the card to bring some diversity to your matchups. You can combine two wrestlers that may not have anything going on storyline-wise or creatively. You combine them together and you can get such tremendous matches. Case in point, during the SmackDown 6 era, the matches in, in early 2000s, the matches between Edge and, uh, excuse me, Edge and Ray, Angle and Benoit, and the Guerreros, you have su- such the opportunity to create such a great division and let's put it this way back then if the tag team division with how it was how it is today would you see Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels be the stars they are today I doubt that it is unbelievable how the art of tag team wrestling has diminished over the years look at the champions now I thought I saw a glimpse of this changing when we saw Chris Jericho and the big show won the tag team championship a couple of years ago which I started to regain its its prestige but then they fall into that that ditch or that rut of it being meaningless but we'll discuss that towards the end of the show because I it's my soapbox that I'm on. I truly feel it's an avenue that's being so neglected. TNA did an excellent job boosting their tag team division a few years ago, but now again, I believe it's to the wayside. Get you back up into the ring here in just a moment or two. Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, come on in. Good Lord. I'll tell you, that bullhorn oh. just drives me nuts. I got a headache the way it is. Give me a break, will you, Let Jimmy Let me tell Hart? you something, baby. I'm so excited that you know I promised you several weeks ago that I was going to show the whole world the greatest team in the history of professional wrestling. And I want to do some to you right now. The Hart Foundation, baby. The Hitman and the Anvil. 
I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I, I want to I converse, if I may, Jimmy Hart, with these two men of yours. Uh, they are one of the top teams, no doubt about it, the in greatest, tag team action. Top team. Well, wait a minute. You're not the world champions. They happen to be very winnable. Like... We can't get a match with the world tag team champions. Well, wait a minute. You don't do this overnight, gentlemen. You have to meet the likes of... Oh, let's say the Killer Bees or the British Bulldogs. <laughs> the Killer Bees. The British Chihuahuas. <laughs> I love these names. Yeah, you know, there is a very serious problem. And we, we've got some very good news for everyone out there in the United States about these pestilent problem out in California, the Killer Bees. It's a very, very serious problem. So don't anybody worry about a thing. Because <laughs> we will end that problem. And then there won't be any more problems. Right, Jimmy? Because <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> we do what we want. Right, Hitman. All right, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, obviously, this team is working out quite well. I think oh, they're going to have to agree. We got, the, we got the greatest manager in professional <laughs> wrestling, for one thing. And then me, for example. Not only am I possibly the greatest looking wrestler, but I'm also the greatest technical wrestler in professional wrestling. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Bret the Hart. greatest technical wrestler. Bret Hart, in all due respect, with that kind of arrogance... And, and, and what you're saying, your father would be ashamed if he heard you talking like that. We don't that. care, do we? No, no, we don't no, care what no. his father He's thinks. Very, we don't care very, what very you think. very, very proud of the way I'm wrestling. <laughs> dum, dum. Right. And this guy. Look at the power of this guy. Look at the strength. Look, Look at the guy. back! The strongest <laughs> man <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Beautiful. Strength. strength. They are the Heart Foundation. Heart, heart, and my heart. But speaking of teams that created superstars as they split up towards singles runs, another team just as successful in terms of the impact they made on tag team wrestling was the Rockers. Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels were a high-flying tag team in the late 80s into the early 90s, though they never won the gold thanks to politics and top rope and top rope breaking, you could say, which we'll speak about. They were a very successful and remembered tag team in the WWF. The Rockers would feud with the likes of the Brain Busters, Arn and Tully, the Rougeau Brothers, the Hart Foundation, the Orient Express, and other underrated tag team. The most famous moment of these two would be the breakup of on Brutus Barber Beefcake's Barbershop in 1992, where Shawn Michaels super kicked Janetti in the face and then put him through a glass window of the set and... That was so dramatic, and the best line was Bobby Heenan say, I knew he would do I just knew he would do that. I knew he was going to do that. It was so, so impressive. My jaw actually dropped watching it on television. Sean and Marty, they love to wrestle. They love to party. Today, the Rockers' impact is hard to grasp. You can say, what's so special about a couple of smaller, fast-paced guys playing huge faces who get beat up? They never won many tag team titles. What's the deal? What's what's why so important? After all, those sorts of teams are a dime a dozen, aren't they? Of course, the reason there were so many teams like that is because of the Rockers. The Rockers were a new style, a new attitude, one of the first big, quote unquote, big teams to be like that. They were young, cute girls loved them, men cheered for them. You felt sorry for them when they got beat up. But you cheered for them like hell when they made their comeback and made the bigger guys go down. They flew, they they bled, they got the girls, they partied, they set the style that is still wrestled to this day. The Hardy Boys, you could say, followed their mentality. If they were pretty boy faces, they were influenced by the Rockers. Oh yeah. And they also made the barbershop go into wrestling folklore. You can never forget that. 
again, another example of the Hart Foundation splitting up Bret the Hitman Hart becoming one of the greatest wrestlers of all time to most recently WWE Hall of Famer, the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels was born after them splitting. You know, they had a nice little reunion a couple of years ago, Marty and Shawn, and it's so underrated the value of tag team wrestling in in professional wrestling. What would happen if we didn't have tag team wrestling? There may not have been a Brett. There may not have been a Sean. We have to well, look at that. Let me tell you something, Beefcake. There's no doubt that the Rockers are without a doubt the tightest team in the World Wrestling Federation. And I know that the rumors have been flying. But I can assure you, as the captain of this team, as the guy that has put all of this together, that there are absolutely no problems with the Rockers whatsoever. I can assure you of that. I thought Giannetti was the captain. Hold on. One thing right now, Sean. I didn't think there was one. Let's don't come out here and lie to the people. Everybody here knows there is friction between the Rockers. Let's get it straight tonight. Let's straighten the thing out. First of all, listen to yourself. The captain of the Rockers, nobody ever picked a captain for this team. We've done everything together. Let's take a few weeks back. We had a match on television. We almost lost because I went for the tag and you were down the apron somewhere flirting with a girl ringside. Hey, hey, what do you want from me? Huh? Chicks dig me. I can't help it. That's fine. How about another match with the Nasty Boys? A big match. I'm on top. I've got the guy beat. The next thing I... Hold on here. Hold on one second. What, are we going to toss blame back and forth? Is that we're going to come out here and shoot the blame back and forth? Fine, let's do that. Let's just do that. Here I am wrestling Ric Flair, something you have never done, and I'm giving him the wrestling lesson of his life. And then here you come to save the day. Good job. Good job. Uh, first of all, Sean, I didn't come out there to save the day. I came out there because you hit your head on the railing. I was concerned for you, for your well-being. I was concerned for my well-being. You're concerned for my well-being? A lot of trouble here. Somewhere down the line, I tell you that I needed your help. Did I I tell you that sometime? I I, I don't remember. Listen to yourself, man. Take a listen to yourself. I don't know what's going on in your head. For a long time, we've stuck together. Through thick and thin, we've watched each other's back. I don't know where you're coming from anymore, man. I don't know what's going on in there with Shawn Michaels. Shawn's got now, an attitude problem. A while back, the match with LOD. We were this close to being tag team champions. Something that we strived for since the beginning. But wait a minute. I don't want to put the blame back and forth, just like you said. I'll take the blame. Let's blame me and say it's my fault. I shouldn't have come out there with you and Ric Flair's match, okay? My fault, I'm sorry. I want this thing to work with the Rockers, okay? Because together, we can make it to the top. But it's up to you, Shawn Michaels. It's up to you, do you want it? I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna turn my back to you right now. And if you wanna go on your own, then walk off and leave. If you wanna stick together and make this thing work, When I turn around, we're going to shake hands 
and we're going to go on a rock and roll like the rockers can do. They need each other. You know that. Sounds fair to me. He's not going to walk away. They need each other. roll on and talk about another team which I put them on this list because of other individuals believe of their impact in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. I myself wasn't the biggest fan of them but I can respect the impact they made on professional wrestling and that was the Rock and Roll Express. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson most famous for their ongoing feud with the Midnight Express the Rock and Roll Express were famous for living their name they were their name. Classic rock star, hair metal loving, high flyers who stole the show wherever they wrestled. Again, two great friends with great trust for each other. Other than their legendary feud with the Midnight Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson have had many great matches with the likes of the legendary Four Horsemen and the Heavenly Bodies. Much as the teams I mentioned before, Ricky and Robert are a tag team who can get a crowd working just by stepping into the ring. Tag team legends of old school wrestling, and will definitely go down as one of the best of all time. But generally speaking, knockoffs don't go over that well. However, when Memphis Bookers paired up Ricky and Robert to be a new version of the Fabulous Ones, they inadvertently created one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Not long after their formation, the team picked up the Memphis Territory's tag team titles and immediately, immediately began feuding with the Midnight Express of Bobby Ian and Dennis Condry. The individual matches were incredible, so incredible, and the feud as, as a whole were fantastic. With wrestling skill being in its territorial days, you know, wrestling was still very territorialized and very regionalized. The only thing that made sense, taking the feud on the road. That was the only option that would, that would fit. Bill Watts, Mid South Wrestling, was next was was 
the next stop for this pair. And the rivalry continued, Gibson and Morton earning themselves three reigns as the promotion's champions. Finally, after many years of working against one another and basically creating a formula for a match that could whip almost any crowd into a frenzy, the Express headed to Jim Crockett Promotions and the national television exposure thanks to Ted Turner's TBS, Turner Broadcasting System. It wasn't just the Midnight's that caused headaches for the R&Rs in JCP, though Ricky and Robert actually beat the Russians for their first NWA Tag Team Championship and feuded with that group before moving back to the other Express, who by this point had replaced Dennis Condry with Sweet Stan Lane. That, that was, I think, my favorite of the combinations. Now that the old rivals were in the second largest wrestling promotion in the entire country, they were finally able to have matches that would be seen across the country and seared into the minds of wrestling fans for many generations to come. The cohesion of, that the duo showed when performing double-team moves and Ricky Morton's unparalleled ability to earn sympathy from an audience made the Express into a rarity in professional wrestling and basically the entire sports entertainment world. They were a tag team who had the ability to draw a good-sized crowd on their own, absent the help from single stars. This was proven time and time again, most notably when the team entered into a memorable rivalry with the Four Horsemen, which saw Ricky's face getting pounded into the concrete floor. I just saw that previously on Classics on Demand, and that was such, such an impact, uh, an impacting uh segment and it gave realism and it get, it it boosted that rivalry and it gave the heat to the horsemen that was so desperately needed to to generate that feud uh even more so going further into the NWA territory it was so real and it made such an impact that it just grabbed your attention though the rock and rolls didn't manage to win the feud against the horsemen the victory would signal the beginning of the end for them as a team there were a few more matches against the Midnights here and there, but WCW booked Ricky turning on Robert in 1991, killing off what was still a very popular act. The two men would basically go on tour of the independent circuit, finding their most success in Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where they would feud primarily with the Heavenly Bodies to win the SMW Tag Team Championships a record nine times. They also engaged in a controversial feud with New Jack and Mustafa Saeed, which helped get that young team on the map before they would go on into greater fame in ECW. Wrestling the Gangsters would be the team's last major feud, you can say. They would continue to appear on the Independence, periodically winning the NWA Tag Team Championship, though the title had been greatly devalued in the by the mid-1990s since... Uh, separating from World Championship Wrestling. Aside from the sporadic appearances in the in the WWF and NWA TNA, when the WWF, during the initial Raw is War era, tried to create the NWA feud with Jim Cornette and uh, had uh, Barry Windham join the group, which was very short-lived. The Rock and Roll Express will go down as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. You know, Rick, it's great to be back in the AWA. You know, people around the world have been wondering, where's the Rock and Roll Express, baby? Let me tell you something. Rock and Roll Express, we're alive and well, ain't we, brother? Still, we're still kicking tail, too. 
you know, in any organization you go to with your new tag team, you got to start at the bottom and climb that mountain all the way to the top. Like going to the Nasty Boys and going to that top to meet Bad Company. Now, you know, Rock and Roll Express has been around a long time. And, brother, we have climbed that mountain many, many times before. And we know what it's like. We know what it's like to get down nasty and dirty that ring. But in the AWA is what it's all about. We're looking to be the world champions for the fifth time. Fifth time, brother. That's what it's about. That's what Rock and Roll Express is about. Because we come out here, brother, representing all these nice people around the world because they stand behind the Rock and Roll Express. So you remember that. AWA is what it's all about. So you be ready. Any tag team in the area, brother, that wants to come after us, you come on. I'm talking to you, brother, because we are here and we are here to stay. AWA, baby. That's that's what it's all about, and it's going to go all the way. So, brother, be ready. Be ready to get down fucking nasty, because if you think you're going through the Rock and Roll Express, you're wrong. You better try to find a ruby in a pile of rocks, or pull yourself out of a leaking continental out of a Cracker Jack box. You see, brother, we are here. In 1987, Rick Steiner was a young professional wrestler with only four years of experience, and not a lot that set him apart from the rest of the wrestling world. Then one year later, his younger brother, Scott, followed him to the National Wrestling Alliance, and the two went on to become one of the most popular tag teams in professional wrestling history, both in the United States and across the Pacific Ocean. I'm talking about Rick and Scott, the Steiner Brothers. As previously mentioned, the story of the Steiner Brothers began in the NWA. The two young men were dominant in their early careers, displaying a combination of speed and power that was not often seen in the in the slower, map-based world of 1980s pro wrestling. The duo was quick to capture its first championship, unseating Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, uh, the combination of the fabulous Freebirds in 1989, and pinning the Midnight Express to win the NWA United States Tag Team Championship in 1990. At virtually the same time, the two men were gaining momentum in Japan, capturing the IWGP Tag Team Championship in 1991, defeating Hiroshi Hase Kensuke Sasaki in the process. A shoulder injury to Scott would cut off that momentum, though leading to the Japanese titles being vacated and a serious booking change being made stateside. When the team was able to reunite, they continued their dominance both at home and abroad, but changing attitudes in the front office almost tore the team apart. WCW bookers had their eyes on Scott, wanting to make him a, the world heavyweight champion, effectively ending his partnership with Rick. Shockingly, Ricky, or excuse me, Scotty, showed great devotion to his brother by refusing the position and jumping to the World Wrestling Federation, where the siblings could continue to compete as a unit. The WWF welcomed the Steiners with open arms thanks to their impressive physiques, their lengthy amateur resume, and so forth. The brothers put on several impressive matches, working well with the likes of the Heart, the, the Heart Foundation, the Head Shrinkers, the Beverly Brothers, which was Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom, I prefer Bowen and Blake Beverly, the Beverly Brothers. Their biggest feud was against Money Incorporated, which resulted in Rick and Scott earning the WWF Tag Team titles on two separate occasions. However, despite their impressive win-loss record and their ta- and their title reigns, the Steiner Brothers never seemed to click in the World Wrestling Federation. The cartoonish, gimmick-heavy style of the company just didn't mesh well with the Steiners' straightforward matches, no-nonsense no, no attitude. Their, their college jackets they wore, and they were just straightforward. As a result, they left the company, 
after only a couple of years. A brief run in ECW was next for the Steiners, as well as some more tours of New Japan. Both, uh, well, I say both of the runs were uneventful, though it looked like Rick and Scott were going to ride off into the sunset until WCW came along once more. It was in 1995 that the University of Michigan alums arrived in Atlanta just in time for the Monday Night Awards to kick in. Rick and Scott were made into key players, being major rivals of the NWO, the New World Order, during its rise to power. They warred with the Outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, for months over the Tag Team Championship, repeatedly winning them in a series of dusty finishes, which we'll discuss in the future, before taking home the straps once more, and and what you can say once and for all in 1998 against Nash and Hall. That run would prove to be the last major one of the Steiners' tag team career. Though, the duo was split up, with Scott finally turning on his brother and joining the NWO, the same faction that they used to feud with. And then came the superstar Billy Graham look for for Scott Steiner. The two brothers would reunite, for a few tag team matches when they were both part of the magnificent, magnificent, excuse me, magnificent seven faction. Try saying that fast in 2001, but they would never really again reach the heights they did in the 1990s. Nowadays, when you hear the name Steiner, you think of Big Papa Pump, the genetic freak, the big dad, the big bad booty daddy. You think simply of Scott Steiner. However, Scott Steiner was a successful singles competitor. He was even more successful as a tag team with his real-life brother, Rick. They both graduated as All-Americans from Michigan as as talented amateur wrestlers aspiring to use their talents to get to the top of the professional wrestling world as a tag team. Their strong style will forever be known as creating them or, or building that legacy of the Frankensteiner, that powerhouse tag team where you, you'd think Scott was the one you don't want to cross paths with, but Rick is just as mean and just as scary looking. And I truly believe whether it's the United States, Japan, you name it, the Steiner brothers will forever be known as one of the best of all time. JR and I am with the former WCW World Tag Team Champions and the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers. And Scott, as competitive as you two have been all of your lives, I know it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to be here, not as participants, but as spectators. That's right, difficult, Eric. If I could say one thing, there's been a lot of great athletes throughout the history of sports. One that comes to mind, Muhammad Ali, probably one of the greatest boxing champions of all times. But you see, he was never undefeated. Then he got seven times highly raced, probably one of the toughest competitors ever step in the ring. But he was never undefeated. You see, the thing that separated those guys between being good and being great, they looked at adversity. They looked at defeat. Dead in the eye. And they came back better. Scared. Scared. <laughs> I've never been scared in my life of nothing. Gordy Williams, this ain't over. And I've never set out a tournament in my life. High school or college. Gordy Williams, it ain't over. All I can say is, kids, you better get parental consent to watch it because it ain't going to be pretty. All right, a team I'm sure we're going to hear from a lot more. Arguably the, the greatest and most well known tag team 
in the history of professional wrestling. Having wrestled all over the world, making a name for themselves in every major promotion in the entire world. Best friends since childhood, making the chemistry they share in the ring 100% natural. Chemistry is what makes a tag team successful, just like we said in the early part since the beginning of this series. Knowing each other's styles, knowing each other's moves, trusting each other completely is a is the most key component in the tag team. This was the way of the Road Warriors. Whenever you mention tag team wrestling, whenever you mention tag team gold, you automatically think the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal. There is no questioning, no doubt, that even though their illustrious career was cut short due to the untimely death of Road Warrior Hawk, the legacy of the Road Warriors lives on. As we saw this year being inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. And it will continue to live on forever. And they will, without a shadow of a doubt, go down as one, if not the greatest and most decorated tag team in professional wrestling history. And that is why I left them last here on our special for the Dynamic Duos in Tag Team Wrestling. Ever since Joe Laurinaitis Animal and Michael Hegstrand Hawk joined forces, they were fated to be stars. Big, jacked, and muscular, they stood out from regular... They they stood out from anybody in the crowd. They stood out from the regular wrestling crowd, the regular wrestlers with the punk haircuts and face paint. Now, if it was all to their appeal... They would have fallen off the map with a bunch of other goofy-looking wrestlers, if that was just it. But they named themselves after the notorious biker gang of the same name and more than proved they're deserving of their moniker. They proved they acted the part, they looked the part, and most importantly, they acted it. Animal would sit a battered opponent on his shoulders when Hawk would ascend to the top rope and he would launch him halfway across the ring with the clothesline that fell their victims to the mat. No one got up from the move and defeat was assured from their finisher, the Doomsday Device. They were violent, original, and edgy and had great promos in their own particular style. Animal would would yell and scream full of rage and always end with what he'd say with, tell him Hawk. And then Hawk of course would go, well? As he'd start off. And it seemed to me that it seems to me or let me me do that a a little bit better. It seems to me that it seems to be. I would love it to bring chills down my spine. And he'd make his point in a very pointed and cold way. And they always, always meant business. They were so very different when they formed in 1983 and created a major stir whenever they went in, 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 in 
their formative years. They left Georgia for the AWA because the NWA tried to ban them, and even and even in the AWA, they didn't make any friends in particular. One notable occasion was a match where then-rookie Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning was caught in a hangman between the top and second rope, and Hawk unleashed a series of unprotected chair shots to Kurt's head, leaving him bleeding the hard way, and the crowd rioted when they tried to leave, and they were forced to fight their way basically to safety, to the back. This was the norm, not the exception. They feuded with every major team in the 80s and 90s and had a massive run with the Four Horsemen. They also had tremendous feuds with the fabulous Freebirds, the Von Erichs, the Midnight Express, the Russians, whichever combo they had at the time, Demolition, the Heart Foundation, the Skyscrapers, Doom, the Steiner Brothers, the New Age Outlaws, the Outsiders, the NWO, and many more. Their versatility and ability to create heat with almost any tag team was absolutely astonishing. You could read their achievements like an honor roll of wrestling. The only team to win three recogni- the three major, you could say, recognized ta- tag team championships in North America, the WWE slash F, the WCW slash NWA, and the AWA, when each of the- those promotions were at their prime, and they were a legitimate, a legitimate draw for nearly 20 years. Pro Wrestling Illustrated stroked themselves over the Warriors so much they gave multiple Tag Team of the Year awards coupled with Tag Team of the Decade. And when they couldn't get over even more over the top, Tag Team of the Century for the Legion of Dune. Quite simply, they were the cool heel of the decade before Stone Cold Steve Austin even booked as the nastiest heels in the territory in whatever territory they wrestled in, and they were always cheered, no matter what it seemed. Coming to the ring with those huge silver spikes sticking up from the mammoth le- leather shoulder pads to the ominous strains of Black Sabbath's Iron Man, they would destroy opponents. We discussed in an earlier Beyond the Bell about their theme music and how it revolutionized pro wrestling in terms of that intimidation factor. They started out with Iron Man and the WWF at the time revamped with the oh what a rush that was so so dramatic and impressive in the WWF at the time. Their televised jobber matches would rarely break the minute mark. They'd just come in and destroy their uh, their opponents. They had an aura of invincibility so much so that one of them would often Headline a house show in a singles match with the NWA champion, usually Nature Boy Ric Flair, and even managed to share title matches against Flair during Great American Bash cards in 86, a tremendous feat in itself. Their time in the NWA was an odd period, to say the least. So popular they had become, they could rightfully claim to be one of the top faces in the promotion, but they never were given the tag team titles, which was oddly enough. For years, they would always get so close, but be denied by some heelish tactic, and the Warriors were in danger of losing their aura. They annihilated the NWA Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express, in a match so awesome and brutal that both Stan Lane and Bobby Ian bladed, 
and had little offense as Warriors finally became the NWA Tag Team Champions. As always, they were so awesome, they instantly became faces again. It's tremendous. They try to become heels, they do these dastardly heel attacks, and they become faces again. Tremendous feat in itself for any tag team, yet alone wrestler. It's amazing. Perhaps seeking challenges elsewhere, the Warriors headed to the World Wrestling Federation. They were repackaged as the Legion of Doom in a nod to their old heel stable and a name the WWF held ownership of, which, case in point, they grabbed onto and took ownership of right away. They chased immortality and beat the Nasty Boys at SummerSlam, which I was there for, and I could not tell you the... the, how how loud the crowd erupted when they grabbed those titles. Goosebumps ran up and down my arms. And they became the first and only team to win the big three tag team championships. This was a different Road Warriors, however. Gone were the big steel spikes. And in their place were these orange, orange or red shoulder pads, you could say. And fake looking smaller black spikes. The WWF was... Aimed at children, of course, at the time, and this helped them fit a more cartoon-like image than the violent team that they were in the, in the past and previously. After their tenure in the World Wrestling Federation, the Warriors lost their way somewhat, you could say, and even split for a while. But like all good tag teams, they reformed and headed back to the WWF for one final run. They quickly won the tag team titles again, but it was plainly clear that the years of wrestling and abuse of their bodies were taking its toll. On both of them, but most especially Hawk. And in late 1997 and early 1998, they were jobbed out to the hottest tag team in pro wrestling, the New Age Outlaws, the road dog Jesse James and badass Billy Gunn, which we discussed earlier in our podcast. And they quietly let go, or they were, you could say that they were quietly let go by the WWE before the year's end. Popular to the end. The Warriors earned the reputation for years of ass-kicking and taking names, hugely respected in Japan for their toughness and respected in America for their popularity and longevity. There will never be another team like the Road Warriors. Good old JR used to call them American Originals, and they sure were. We've seen it right here on Nationwide TV. You got him down, but not out. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Well, Tony Giovanni! Now Dusty Rhodes has got a problem, bigger than life itself. He's got a problem with the Legion of Doom and the Road Warriors. First, your biggest mistake, Dusty Rhodes, was coming out here on nationwide television and even think about challenging me. Because I can beat you on your best day, and you know it. Now that was your biggest mistake, and these people out here are watching right now. You don't challenge the Road Warriors. We don't take any regrets. We don't even think twice about what we're doing. We got a set plan. Paul Ellery's great mind has everything worked out. What we're going to do to the finest detail. Dusty Rhodes, we use you as an example to everybody in professional wrestling. Don't question the road warriors or you will pay the price. Tell them, Hawk. Oh, have we been on a hell of a roll. You know something? First we lay out Sting and Luger. Then we capture the World Tag Team belt. And then we decide to take a spike to Dusty Rhodes' eye and shatter everybody's dream. 
Your dream, Dusty Rhodes, is going to be your nightmare. Because we're walking death right here, Dusty Rhodes. Something you can't handle. Something anti-Rhodes. Something anti-matter. A matter of factly. Crop, please. Thank you, precious Paul. Oh, you're one of the best that ever managed the best, the best for the best. Animal, pretend this is Dusty Rhodes' eye. Dang! <laughs> Dang! You got up the first time. Watch your batch, Dang. Next time you ain't gonna walk. We snap on danger. We dine on death. And this apple is no thinking good. <laughs> You know, Tony Schiavone, if I may, last week I made an appeal to all the fans for the Save the Dusty Roads Eye Fund, and I must say it surpassed even my most modest expectations. Now, if you will notice, we have received, and I'm really amazed that there's that many, I mean, friendly people towards Dusty Roads out there, we have received $500 for the Save the Dusty Roads Eye Fund. I think that's commendable. Now, $25, you have to understand, is going to go to the phone cost, 15 to travel, 10 to thank you notes, and the secretary gets 30 and $419 has to go to the administrator. That leaves you, Dusty, it leaves you $1. So we owe Dusty Roads $1. Man, that's a, that's a sick mind right there. This year, they were inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. They paid retrospect to Road Warrior Hawk, who passed away years prior. Animal and Hawk were the definition of tag team wrestling. The definition of what a tag team should be. They fit so well with each other. The fans loved them. They could headline pay-per-views. They could have headlined a WrestleMania in their heyday. You, arguably, you could say. They could headline Starcade. They helped make war, put war games on the map. The match beyond with the four horsemen. And this is what is missing in today's day and age. That's why I wanted to cap off our wonderful series. Our two-part series of tag team wrestling with the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors were the definition of what is missing in tag team wrestling today. You're missing that brotherhood, the cohesive unit. You're also missing the Heart Foundation, the Rockers tag teams, that basically you had an unbelievable tag team that developed tag team championship material between two superstars. Then once their their run ended, they split up and one, if not both, superstars sp- basically reinvented themselves and created a single superstar. Like Brett the Hitman Hart, Shawn Michaels. We saw it with the Hardy Boys, with Jeff Hardy ascending to heights. Matt Hardy also doing pretty well on his own, on top of it. And, but now you do not have that. Everyone's looking for the next Shawn Michaels. Everyone's looking for, you could say, the next Bret Hart. But you may not have that if you don't have these tag teams to help create these stars. Right now, it's so easy to put together two two superstars that are lacking in, att- in attention and time on TV. Slap them together, create a tag team, and create diversity on your card. The one thing I always commended WCW for was 
their diversity of their cards. Sure, they had their main events, and a lot of times it involved older superstars, which you knew the main event wasn't going to be a five-star classic, but you knew the undercard was going to be spectacular with with the cruiserweight division. And they did have a strong tag team division at the, at the time with the Public Enemy, the Harlem Heat, the uh, Faces of Fear, which we didn't discuss, Ming and the Barbarian. You know, they, they had a good amount of tag teams. When the WWF was at its peak, you had the unbelievable TLC wars between Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys, the Hardys. You had that, that, that you could say the camaraderie slash feud between tag teams that created diversity on a card. It created a different aspect for the fans to enjoy and, and put their money down for. Today you don't really have that. Sure, you have the tag team championship, but you don't you can't you don't invest in the teams that have the titles because they're usually makeshift tag teams that are thrown together, and you're expecting to invest your emotion, your hard-earned dollars to watch a, a championship match between four guys that you don't really care about. I don't really see that dry money, and that's what's missing in tag team wrestling these days. That's why I want to look back at, at the era and the age of tag team wrestling, an age that has long been, like you say, that's disappeared and, and has been missing. We've yearned for this for so long, but I want to take a look back at an age of when we enjoyed tag team wrestling. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening to this two-part series. I hope you've enjoyed looking back at the greatest tag teams of all time. Sure, I know I missed a few here and there, and I apologize, but it's hard to cover every single team that we find to be the all-time greats. Others to mention, such as the Mega Powers, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan. I mentioned the Faces of Fear. Other teams like that. We also saw, you know, the Powers of Pain. You know, teams that had that impact. But we'll also discuss in a future live cast or podcast uh, the greatest stables in professional wrestling. Of course, D-Generation X, the Heartbreak Kids, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H together as a tag team were excellent. But we're going to discuss them more of a stable, more of a unit as a faction going forward. Um, I hope this upcoming week on our live cast we'll discuss some of your favorites in terms of tag team wrestling, who you love, the matches you look forward to, the the types of contests or the the legendary rivalries or any memorable uh, angles or moments between tag teams. I want to hear from you fans out there. So you can send your questions and comments to btbwrestling at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear your comments on previous podcasts and this one as well. Wrestling fans, sports entertainment fans, fans in general of the SNS Network. I'd like to thank you for listening. And we'll see you this upcoming week for the live cast of Beyond the Bell. And let's just enjoy the art the, the lost art of tag team wrestling. We'll sign off with actually a song that was released on iTunes for the Macho Man Randy Savage. And speaking of iTunes, you can catch you can catch each and every episode archived on iTunes. Search under Beyond the Bell. Also, you can search them under BeyondTheBell.podbean.com. We also have them archived there. And also, our shows are starting to be archived on SundayNightShowdown.com as well as our email, btbwrestling at gmail.com. Got my plugs out of the way, but we'll end our uh, two-part series off with a song that was just uploaded under iTunes, courtesy of Jim Johnston. It's dedicated to the Macho Man Randy Savage, the late Macho Man Randy Savage. We're going to play that for you as we end out here. Again, this is Ring Announcer Sean Beckerman signing off. 
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for going beyond the bell. See you.